0: This is episode number one, one, three, with how to be a highly effective person with three of Franklin Covey's finest best-selling authors, Stephen M. R. Covey, Chris McChesney, and Scott Miller. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. If you're looking to get closer to the best version of yourself, which you are, because that's why you're here and you're listening, then these three men are gonna help you out in a big way. Today, I bring you a super special episode with three of Franklin Covey's finest, Stephen M.R. Covey, Chris McChesney, and Scott Miller. Franklin Covey is the world leader in helping organizations achieve results that require lasting changes in human behavior. They provide content, tools, methodology, training, and thought leadership, all based on a foundation of unshakable principles and proven practices. I had the fortunate opportunity to interview all three of these men up to this point. And they were three of the most popular podcast episodes that have been released. I had the idea of bringing clips of all three of these interviews together into one masterclass on how to be a highly effective person. Before I get into that, I want to tell you about this amazing offer for you because you're a listener of the Best You Podcast. Chris McChesney is hosting an all-day workshop event on Friday, November 22nd from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at Tulsa Community College out in Oklahoma. The 2019 Tulsa Strategy Execution Workshop is going to be filled with advanced exercises and is aimed at leaders looking to improve their ability to successfully execute on their most critical strategies. And because you're a listener of this podcast, you will get your ticket at a huge discount. So bring your plan, bring your team, learn from Chris McChesney as he breaks down the lessons learned from helping thousands of organizations bring focus, leverage, engagement, and accountability to their teams. If you're a business leader, department head, marketing manager, HR manager, team leader, project manager, entrepreneur, or really just anyone looking to execute on their wildly important goals, this workshop is for you. And because you're a listener of this Best You podcast, we have an unbelievable discount for you. All you have to do is go to nickcarrier.com slash podcast, and we'll have the link for you. And you can use code BEST YOU, and you'll get an absolutely huge discount on this once in a lifetime experience. Again, go to nickcarrier.com slash podcast and you'll see the link, ompevents.com slash Tulsa Strategy Execution Workshop. And you can use code BESTYOU and you'll never let your major initiatives and major goals fall victim to the whirlwind again. All of the details in that link and code, again, will be on the show notes page at nickcarrier.com slash podcast. In this episode, you're gonna learn from Stephen M. R. Covey how to build your self-trust. From Chris McChesney, you're gonna learn about how we can execute our goals at a high level. And from Scott Miller, you'll learn the three things that you should do in order to get a promotion and so much more. While you're listening, make sure you share this episode with a friend. Share it with someone who is looking to move to the next level in their career. Someone you know who is chasing down a goal or someone you know who is struggling with their own self-trust. This episode has the potential to be a game changer for them and turn their life in the right direction. So be a hero and a champion for them today by sending them a quick text saying, hey, check out nickcarrier.com slash podcast. I think it'll really inspire you. But for now it's time, here's your masterclass on how to be a highly effective person from this Franklin Covey powerhouse. Yeah, so how do we know if we're actually trusting ourselves? Because I feel like a lot of people are probably listening and be like, I trust myself. Um, But how does somebody know if they're not trusting themselves?
1: Yeah, well, you kind of, you can see it. Just in in the little things, in your own little commitments that you make to yourself. Because interesting, Nick, the, the research shows that the number one behavior that builds trust with other people yes. is to make another person a commitment and then to keep it. Okay. Make another commitment and you keep it and repeat that process. Make a commitment, keep it, repeat, make, keep, repeat. You can build trust with people fast that way. Guess what? That's also the fastest way to build trust with yourself learn to make yourself a commitment and to, and to keep it. We often don't treat ourselves with the same respect when it comes to commitments that we might with somebody else. And we make all kinds of commitments we never intend to keep. And it could be as little as I'm going to bed. I set my alarm and I say, hey, I need to get up and exercise. <laughs> Go to one of your fitness sessions. Yeah, so I set, I set an hour earlier. I get up at five instead of six. And then the alarm goes off in the morning, you know, and I say, oh, my goodness. And I hit the snooze button <laughs> or I, I, I say, Oh well, I'll exercise tomorrow. And you know, just that little thing. That was a little commitment. And someone might say, That's not a commitment, but but maybe it was. And and uh, it's just in those little things you can start to lose a sense of clarity, integrity, and power where you're just not quite sure if you'll come through yourself. And and um so if if you start with those little things, it tends to then Translate into the bigger things. I, right. I'll, I'll just give you one little example of this. Yeah, um, please. This is Admiral William McRaven. He's the former um, commander of special operations for the United States military. Retired a few years ago. But he was extraordinary. It was under his leadership that the raid that captured Osama bin Laden took place. You know, four-star admiral, just very uh, extraordinary person. And he went down after he retired from the military, you know, leading special operations, the elite of the elite, the best fighting forces in the world. He goes down to the University of Texas. He's the chancellor and he gives the commencement address. And here was his basic premise. He said, if you want to change the world, then make your bed, make your bed. And and his whole point was start with a little commitment that you can make and then keep it. Right. And make and keep that commitment and then do the next one and then the next one and the next one. And his whole point is every day you can choose to start with by making a commitment and to keep it. And the clarity, the integrity, the power that starts to come from that happens. And so his whole premise was you want to change the world? Make your bed. It starts in the little things and it perpetuates out into the bigger things.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's super powerful. I think it's about being aware of the things that you commit to, but you're not actually doing. Because I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of it like that. Like people press news on the alarm and they don't necessarily think about it. I am losing trust in myself, or they make a commitment that they're going to go to lunch with somebody and then either show up late or end up canceling. Like, I don't think people think about it as an opportunity to build a little bit of trust with yourself and build a little bit of self-confidence with yourself. And I'm glad that you talked about following through with the commitments that you make to yourself, because that's kind of a, a phrase and a topic that I like to, like to talk about a lot. Following through with the promises that you make to yourself is a big self-confidence builder. And that's something that I'm trying to constantly work on. So I want to ask for you personally is what is the, what helps hold you accountable to following through with the promises that you make to yourself? Yeah. Um, for
1: me, Nick, the most important thing is kind of the awareness that, you know, that, these promises to myself are just that. They are promises. Mm. They are commitments. Because, like you just said, it's very easy to just say, you know, setting the alarm to get up, that's not a commitment. Right. <laughs> but but when I start to say, you know, my my word is my bond, and in, you know, integrity is my my is a source of of any power I might have. And in, in integrity really means that. You know, we do what we say we're going to do. We are who we say that we are. If we say that we value something, we do it. And, you know, we're aligned, we're congruent, we're authentic. Mm-hmm. That's having integrity. You, we walk the talk. We say it and then we do it. Um, honesty, by contrast, is, you know, kind of when our words match reality. But integrity is when our reality matches our words. And so for me, it starts with, How do I hold myself accountable? Well, I see it as a matter of integrity. And I'm a person of integrity that if I stand for something, I want to live true to what I stand for. If I have values, I want to be true to those values. And to see that not just as a nice to do, but as an integrity issue. So that's number one is, is, is is to view it as an integrity issue, not just a flippant, "Ah, I'll do it or I won't. And, and that gives me a greater sense of I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be accountable to that. And then I would say the second thing, for me, is also kind of to recognize that kind of all the other emerging consequences, both good and bad, that flow, that come from being accountable and and doing what I'm saying I'm going to do and standing true to my values. I've learned, that not only as a matter of integrity, but that when I have integrity, I do better, I perform better, my yeah. life goes better. I feel more confident. I feel more self-trust and, and I feel more congruent, more authentic, more real. And I like that. And I, and I, and I also will perform better in whatever I'm doing, whether it's giving a presentation or just being with my family. I'm more present. I'm more in the moment. Whereas if I begin to lose that sense of clarity, integrity and power that comes from that, it affects me in these other ways where I become a little bit distracted and, and maybe not as clear maybe more self-serving in my focus. And I don't like that as much. And, and so is it's it's, for me, it's kind of the awareness of it's an integrity matter and, in, and integrity does matter. It makes me better. And I right. like myself better. I'm a better best. I'm a better me. Right. I operate with integrity.
0: I want to go a little bit more into that declare your intent because I love that and I'm all about – Setting an intention and that sort of thing. So, what what exactly does that kind of look like, like tangibly and practically in in conversations? Let's let's say in a business, like when it's like we need to move the needle in this area of our business, and this is what I think we should do for that, and why. Like, tell me a little bit more about what that sounds like in a, in the business setting.
1: Yes. Well, I, I like what you just said. It's 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 two halves. It's the what and it's the why. And we've become pretty good at the what. We're not near good enough on the why. Hmm. And so if you, if I'm the leader of a team and I, and, and I come in, and I say, team, here's what we're trying to do. You know, here's our objectives and here's how we're going to measure and what we're going to do. Now here is why we're trying to do it. Here's the why. I'm open. I'm authentic. I declare it. I'm transparent. There's nothing to hide because I tell you so often. We, we give the what, we don't give the why, or we don't do very much on the why. Maybe, we maybe give a little, but people aren't, aren't quite sure. Is that the full intent? Or do yeah. you have another agenda?
0: How do we come up with that why? Because I feel like one of the big things maybe people don't voice it is because they don't feel strongly enough, or they don't feel like that why is defined enough or clear enough for them. I think it's critical that we
1: always are trying to define the why to everything we're, we're doing. What's the why in this? Um, you know, and we're always seeking mutual benefit. When? win yes i want to win but i want you to win too so if this is our goal i'm always looking at how does this also benefit those that are helping us achieve the goal i'm trying to look for the why both for myself but for others and and you're exactly right we don't just we can't just assume this we can't just think that it's implicit we have to we have to create it we have to assess it we have to bring it you know bring it into existence we have to find our why for both for ourselves, but also for those that we work with, those that we lead, because that's where inspiration comes and, and, uh, to, to inspire people and, and to give them the why. You know, I love Simon Sinek's work on, you know, you know, on finding out, finding out the why, finding your why and start with why. So the what does matter, but the why gives meaning and context. And that's what taps into motivation and into inspiration. And, and then it also requires you to be a little bit vulnerable to give the why and, and to be really open, really transparent. And that's what really declaring your intent is, is to say, here's what we're trying to do. Here's why we're trying to do it. Here's our agenda. Here's my agenda. It's not a hidden agenda. It's open. It's transparent. And I'll tell you what, you're a bit vulnerable because it might be that you say, look, we, you know, my agenda is to we want to achieve this because we need to win in the marketplace and I'm, and we we can't win if you don't win it's got to be win win and and it, it it opens myself up i expose myself i'm i take a risk i'm vulnerable but trust comes from that when people see that you're authentic and real when you don't declare your intent people ascribe intent to you anyways they're going to assume it they're going to guess it they're going to ascribe it to you and they often do it based upon their fears or worst-case scenarios. So start with why. Declare your why, and and make
0: sure your why is mutual benefit, not just self-serving. How can what's the conversation need to be like when they get together to actually determine what that why is? Because I feel like the, the like we talked about earlier, the what is the easier part. How do we determine the why in a particular team? What's that conversation sound like?
1: Yeah. I, I think you're that is a great conversation, Nick, because the what is easier, the why is harder, the why is more important. The more you can involve people in the process, the more commitment you'll have versus coming in and just dictating the why. The why really does involve everybody. And if you come in and say, let's talk about why we want to do this. Let's listen to everybody. What's your why? And we're trying to, you know, we're trying to co-mission, overlap our missions Are wise to try to make this real for all of us as best we can. And the more involvement, the more commitment that we'll have from people. The less involvement, the less commitment there will be. And Mm -hmm. and so so we involve people. We listen first to what people have to say. We demonstrate respect for what they what we hear. See, oftentimes people they their listening is really just kind of waiting their turn. They're not seeking to understand. When you listen with the intent to understand. To say, okay, so if I understand you right, you're a why. What's important to you is that you have a chance to really develop your capabilities and your talents. And you're happy to do that on, and have the company win too. But what's most important to you is that, is that as the company succeeds, you want to also develop your ability so you can continue to succeed most. Am I capturing that? See, am I, I'm, I'm really trying to listen. I'm trying to understand. And too often we just listen. Okay, okay, that's next, next. And people don't feel understood. But when we listen to understand, when we demonstrate respect for what we hear, when we involve people right. in it, we can gain enormous commitment. And from that, great things will will happen. Can, can I give you a, a, a fascinating example of of a team coming together with a great why that achieved a phenomenal outcome? You know, we I've been following uh, these these uh, uh, climbing expeditions on Everest now. Everest. Right. And, you know, and, and now there's getting to, to be a lot of people going up. So there's traffic jams almost up there. But one of the, perhaps the most successful ascent in history happened a few years ago where Eric Weinmeier, Eric Weinmeier describes himself as the blind guy who, who, who climbed Everest. <laughs> that's the, that's how he describes himself. So he, you know, he, he's, he he's blind and completely blind. What's that? completely blind. Yes. He had sight younger but he went blind. He's completely blind. And and uh, but he's he trained for years and and um and he got a team and they they came together and they had a very clear why. And their why was get Eric to the top. Oh president cool. get me to the top get you to the top. It was get Eric to the top. It was very clear and everyone, if they came together. They were clear on it. This had never happened. They wanted Eric to, to succeed to be the first blind person to climb Everest. They came together. Their why was clear. They declared it. They were involved with it. They were committed to it. And what happened on that day, it was a few years ago, and this has been documented. Um, they, Eric not only made it to the, to the top of the summit, but they had a total of 19 people from that team, make it to the top, which is the most that any summit has ever had. And so not only did em, did Eric succeed, but the, the greatest ascent in summit history at Everest succeeded because it was a team that had a clear objective, a clear why that they were all committed to. And they not only achieved the why for Eric, they had the greatest success for everybody else as well. It unprecedented. It shows you the power of having... A clear objective, and a clear why, and everyone bought into the why.
2: Uh, but, and by the way, let me just say this. I really liked how you started the, the program. That, that first idea that there has to be some, some result, some cause associated with every action. Human beings don't like futility. And in the absence of that connection, it starts to feel futile. And that's where human beings will shut down. You watch where people quit in various phases of life. It's the minute they start to feel futility. And the other thing that you brought up is simplicity. And and there's a whole bunch that we've learned about that one as well. And there's reasons why we don't make it as simple as we should. But yeah, those are two huge themes in the execution phase. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, well, I, and it's honestly just come from my own awareness of trying to figure out when. Like, I, I always I have a whiteboard in my room that I always give like what I'm going to do on that day and like what my goals are and how I'm going to get to those. And when I haven't done certain things, I'm like, why did I not actually do that? And a couple of things that I've come to is that I didn't truly believe deep down that that was actually going to move the needle into getting me to that particular goal. So that's right. kind of how I, I guess right. I came to that. Um, well, can, I but give I, you,
2: can I give you a word? Uh, and I don't know if this is helpful or not, Sometimes, sometimes words are helpful. Sometimes when you take an idea or they say that uh, the definition of, or the beginning of wisdom is the definition of perks. So the word that we've started sort of backed into is this idea of a winnable game. Mm -hmm. And do you really, I mean, you might've made a plan, but when you look at it, do you really believe that it's a winnable game or not? And if you do, your likelihood of follow through goes way up. Yeah. And if you're not quite sure it's a winnable game, keep working at it. You're not, you're not there yet.
0: Mhm. I think you know that's moving into discipline 3, but I kind of want to stay there since we we jumped there. So, a winnable game and basically it means that you believe that whatever you're going to do is going to like has a a chance of success, a high chance of success, right? Yeah, so, yeah. and and I think that is really hard for a lot of people to be honest with themselves. Like everybody you some, you know, everybody s- says dream big, set lofty goals, but there are some people who say like don't go too big. So, tell talk about like how we can put a finger on deciphering what a winnable game actually is for ourselves and what's actually achievable. All right.
2: So let me, let me frame up the question. So if the result is the lag measure and what we define in discipline one, or what we sometimes call a wig, a wildly important goal, right? Um, And let's stay with weight loss. That's the most universally understood dynamic that there is. Okay. And so let's say, and we we really lock it in. We say, we are going to go from 195 pounds to 180 pounds 15 pound loss by october 1st right so basically in like four months we're going to drop 15 pounds all right that's the lag measure right the lead measures are the things i'm going to measure that i'm going to act on that i i believe is the bet to get me back now i either i either really believe the bet or i don't and sometimes we never okay so let's say the bet is that there's a certain number of. I mean, you're. You, this is your wheelhouse, right? You you could create a better bet on the spot than I could. But there's a calorie count, or there's a diet change, there's a certain amount, but it's got to be measurable. It's got to be trackable. That you say, okay, we're going to do this, and we think we're going to get this. So now we got discipline one, we got discipline two, which is the thing we're going to do. Discipline three is just how we see it. Mm-hmm. So discipline three is how you get it up and how you look at it. But what's sometimes missing. And Nick, I think it goes to what you were talking about, is this moment of honesty where you have to ask yourself, do I really buy it? And yeah. it's a two-part, and and it's a two-part answer, two-part question. There's two things going on. The first is, will I really do the lead measures? Am I really do I believe I'm capable of running that many miles a week, burning that many calories, eating that? Do I really think that it's Can I really get there? And if I do, here's the second part. If I do, will it get me the results? Right. That sounds like the most obvious common sense thing in the world. The human beings, while they understand common sense, we're not huge on practicing it. Mm -hmm. And and so whatever the circumstance, go outside of weight loss. This is what we try and get leaders to do. Leader might be executing a business strategy. There might be a dozen different teams that all make up Parts of this objective. What we look for, does each team buy the bet? Right? right? And 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 they'll sometimes lie to you. They don't know that they are, but they want to be the good soldier. Do you do you like where we're going? Are you on board? Yeah, boss, I'm on board. I don't want to be a pain in your neck. But they may not buy the bet. And if you just frame the question a little bit differently, then you say, does honestly. Does this right now feel like a winnable game? Do you feel you can do it? And if you did, you'd get the result. And sometimes in that pause, people will go, where they wouldn't admit before that they weren't on board. Now they'll sort of go, I'm a little nervous about, okay, now thank you. Let's talk about that. But let's get the bet
0: right. That's the construct. That's really the heart of the issue right there for us. Right. And it, you know, you, you described it, I think, without going into a couple of the terms, but lead measures, you have to believe they're, they're two things. They're predictive, oh, that they're going to actually get you to that particular end result. And then they're influenceable, that you're actually yeah, capable yeah. of getting the things actually done. So and I want you to, I the want whole you to just. That's
2: thing. And Nick, that's everything else hinges on that construct right there. And it's a human, it's, and it's not just an organizational idea or a business idea. Like the people you work with, with the goals, those two, those two predictive, influenceable, those two variables are always
0: in play. Mm-hmm. No, so like for me, this was one of my biggest aha moments when I was when I was going through reading your book and, and listening to your stuff. Because I think that, yes, those are important questions to ask. But then for me, I think a really important question to ask is how can you increase the predictability and the capability of the actual lead measures coming through? Because this is actually an idea I thought of beforehand in terms of trying to increase your belief or increase the certainty that your action steps are going to yield a particular result. And I think one way to do that is being surrounded by somebody who is more of an expert in that particular area or has more knowledge in that particular area. So that's one thing that I try to communicate with people in terms of weight loss is it's like, if you don't know the in this in this sense lead measures to get you that particular point, right. get yourself around somebody who can help you define what those stepping stones are that are predictive of what you what your goal wants to be. So, have you guys found that in kind of working with different organizations of like how to actually like how do we actually increase those two different things and the capability and the predictability of yeah. lead measures following through?
2: All right, so here's what we here's what we've seen. We have never published a list. Even though we've worked with 100 hospitals and 1,000 hotels, we've never published a list of the lead and lag measures because there is no list. It's very individual. Mm. So, for instance, one team may know what to do to to get the number of out of stocks in a grocery, the number of holes, right? They know what to do. They're just not doing it. That's a great lead measure for them. Mm another group another group of grocers they're not exactly sure how the flow of groceries work they're not as experienced so they don't know really what to do so you can't give that second set the same lead measure cuz it's not influenceable. they they don't right what's influenceable? i'll give you another example let's say let's go to sales hey okay? um i want new accounts is my lag and my lead measure is first-time appointments with someone, mm-hmm. right? And I watch Jake, and Jake's really good at what he does. And Jake focuses on first-time appointments. He gets business. So I go out and focus. So you, you, you think of the lead like a lever that moves the rock, right? So first-time appointments, get me the sale. Well, here's the problem, Nick. The guy that's really good He's strong enough to move the lever. You might not be. Like n- maybe this maybe this sales guy's been at it for 20 years and he knows what to do. He doesn't even know how he knows it, but he knows how to get those first appointments. You go out there, you can't, right? For, nit, for, the, for the experienced sales guy, that lever moves that rock. But for everybody else, for the other 90%, they pull on that lever and it doesn't move. So that's right. an example. Let's stay with this. That's an example of a highly predictive lever But it ain't very influenceable. Then we go the other way, and we say cold calls. Anybody can do cold calls. So we get a really long lever, and anybody can pull that lever. But if you've ever done cold calling, you know it doesn't always move the rock. And you're bending the lever. That's highly influenceable, but it ain't predictive.
0: Mm. And
2: so you start to play with these two ideas. To your point, people that have been at the game tend to know where the sweet spot is. So maybe, maybe the lag, maybe the wildly important goal is first appointments and the lead measure is asking for referrals. Mm. Oh, that I buy. Right. Right? So the rock's not as big. It's not as big as right. First appointments is not as big as new accounts, but it's a start. I'll take that and I'm going to work, I'm going to work, you know, referrals off of existing clients because that's something I can do and that will move the rock. So really dialing in, cause when you first say predictive and influenceable, everybody thinks, Oh yeah, that's easy that's easy. I know. Right? Yeah, okay. So so first appointments, new accounts. Da new, 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 new. It, it's more often than not, it's a little bit of, of a challenge. And yeah, I, I like what you said. Getting with people that have been in the game can really help
0: you find a good winnable game. Right. Because what it comes down to is that sales team or that person that you were saying is not as seasoned of a salesperson just needs more experience or more skill or more capability to actually be able to move that lever, uh, over time. So, you know, like you said, that rock moves. Um, and they might,
2: and they might get there, but that may not be the goal for them. My, my wife had a personal trainer for a while and just about put her off exercise for good. This woman destroyed (laughs) my wife. And it's like she she was applying levers that were just not in the realm, right? Those there were, they were they, she, it was disconnected, right? So yeah, for somebody training for an event, it was perfect, but it it, it got my wife off exercise for three years, you know, because it was like a it was such a traumatic bad experience,
0: right? So I want to I kind of want to reverse it, going back to discipline one, uh, focus on the wildly important and uh, talk about setting the proper wig or the wildly important goal as you've already uh, defined here. Um, How do you know everybody has so many goals, so many things that they want to get done and so many things they want to accomplish? What are the right questions that we need to be asking ourselves or within our teams, within our companies about how we can actually narrow that focus down to that particular wig that that we've now brought up?
2: So two ideas on this. The first is there are lots of important really really important things in your life that should not be goals right this is this is a foreign idea to a lot of people maybe 80 90% of what i do every day has to be done and and but that doesn't mean it's a, it's an achievement goal right it could be absolutely mission critical it, it's a necessity it absolutely has to get done it's more of
0: a sustainability.
2: But it's more about sustainability. And so separating all the things in your life that have to be sustained from the one thing, this is what we found. Human beings seem to be able to attack one meaningful achievement goal at a time, in addition to 80 to 90% of the stuff you have to sustain. This is why we call it disciplines, Nick, because nobody wants to do this. It's a little bit like, look, we can give you a formula for achieving anything you want to achieve. The problem is we can't, we don't have a formula for everything. Right. And so the very first construct. there's two constructs. The first is I got to put everything in my life and I want to make improvements all over. I get it. Don't go there. It's going to take up 80% just sustaining your getting the food on the table for the kids, getting the groceries bought, doing the law. You got to do that stuff or things unravel. And you got to be okay that says, look, 80% of my life I'm playing defense. When I go on offense, have a singular focus and say, look, for the next three months, right, it's all about this. Mm -hmm. Right? And then in terms of that thing, it cannot stay a concept. The way... The way you get it out of a concept into a target. Like this is the, like, if you, don't, if you don't remember anything else from this call, people are very bad at executing on concepts. Very good at it. A concept was leading the world in space exploration. A target was man on the moon by the end of the decade. We stunk when we were running the concept. We changed the world when we, we moved to a target. So what's my, here it is. What's my starting line? What's my finish line? And by when? And, and sometimes you really have to wrestle like being a better parent is the most important thing. Having a relationship with my child. I, can, that's, I can't measure that. Yes, you can. Right. Between now and October, um, I'm going to spend, you know, 400 hours with Sarah one-on-one. Right. Right. That like you can, you can put this stuff in the metrics and and, 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 and you can, anyways, it, 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 if you want to actually, if you're serious, you put right. it into a, into a target. So those are the two separate it, separate the one thing from all the stuff you got to sustain. That's the first idea. And then once you've got that one thing, make sure it's, it's a target, not a concept. And that means starting line for the client deadline.
0: Let's say they have two minutes to sit down with you, or they see you out at a coffee shop and they're like, Scott, you know, I want to start moving up in my career, I want to get a promotion, I want to get a raise. What are three things that I could do right now to increase the likelihood of that happening?
3: Yeah, I've got them right now. The first is your reputation. Your reputation is your most valuable asset. And think of your reputation as the collective group of all the choices you make in life. Because you know, as Dr. Covey, who's my hero and the author of the famed book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People said, there are three constants in life principles, change, and choice. And you really can't control principles. They govern human behavior, and you can't change. Change is going to come to you. But what you can control are your choices in life. Mm -hmm. You can't control the consequences, but you choose to make all your own decisions. So be very thoughtful, because the collection of your decisions becomes your reputation, online, in business, in your personal life. And just be, be, be uber thoughtful about your decisions. The next is, deliver on your promises. Don't overcommit. It's better to say, thank you for that idea. I'm so mindful of not wanting to disappoint people. Right now, I'm already fully committed. I'm going to I'm gonna have
1: to pass on that. It's something
3: that I struggle with. I get invitations to speak and keynote and fly to China and Hong Kong and Brazil. And you get excited about it and all kinds of podcasts. And you got to say, you know what? I'm overcommitted. I'm going to disappoint. So undercommit and over-deliver. It sounds cliche-ish. It's so true. And I think um, I think lastly is don't be afraid to put yourself out there. You, you got to be willing to have some criticism. I, I tell people, you know what, don't listen to podcasts. Start your own podcast. Don't listen to TED Talks. Start your own TED Talks. I mean, you'd be surprised at how often if you just ask, can I do that? Can I have some of that You might get 10 no's, but you might get two yeses. Mm -hmm. And the world's a pretty abundant place. And most people are fairly interested in helping other people. And the more you have an abundant mentality and the more you help others, it will come back to you. I'm not a big believer in karma. I'm a religious person, but I believe in what you give others will come back to you. Maybe that's karma. So the more abundance you show other people, it will absolutely come back to reward you. Here's one more tip, and this is about your career. I think too many people in their careers try to harvest too soon, meaning there's a famous phrase called the law of the harvest. It's about mother nature, and you cannot short-circuit corn or sugar beets (laughs) or wheat. You have to plant and sow, and you have to fertilize and water and weed, and things happen at their own right time, and I think... With an efficiency mindset, people try to harvest the next promotion too soon. <clears throat> Take your time. Do the job you were hired to do. Dress for the job you want to do, but, but buckle down and do the job. And when it is your right time, your boss, your leader, if they're worth their medal, they'll see that and they'll raise you. Doesn't mean you can't ask questions, how do I get to the next level? But be mindful of trying to harvest too soon. In fact, this is a great career lesson. Most potato farmers rotate their crops about every three years, and on the third or fourth year, they will plant a money-losing crop, no money on it, but the nutrients that are put back in the soil that year allow them to build, to grow much bigger, more robust potatoes the next year. There's a reason why these farmers do that is because you can't keep stripping the soil. You got to (laughs) replenish the soil. And some years they earn literally no money because they know the next year they're going to have a bumper crop. So I advise people, ask yourself, is it time to harvest or is it time to keep planting and investing? I just think even even in your 30s and 40s, people are so anxious to move up. They have to ask themselves,
0: is it time or is it not? I'm really intrigued about accountability. And following through with the promises that you make to yourself—that's one of the things you said. Under well, don't uh, under promise, over commit, and a lot of that is being able to hold yourself accountable to the things that you say you're going to do. What have what works for you best in terms of holding yourself accountable to doing the things that you say you're going to do and achieving the personal and business goals that you set for yourself?
3: There's a lot of psychology written on this. Some people say share your goals with everyone because then they'll keep you accountable others say don't do that because that might shame you out of it or uh, so I think I think different people have different processes I, I like this idea of kind of one foot in front of the other is make a goal to yourself be disciplined be accountable stay focused on it accomplish that and then move, move on I think there is a there is the propensity to be, over, be overwhelmed with um, too many commitments. I have found I'm most accountable to myself when I, when I list out all my goals and I go and I nail one and I become fiercely focused. I don't let anything distract me. I say no to other things and I get that goal accomplished. Cause when I try to take on two or three or four or five, I just implode in the whirlwind and the more mm. goals you have, the science shows the less likely you are to accomplish them. There's an inverse correlation. So I'm pretty deliberate now around get, you know, this new book I've written, Management Mess, Leadership Success, get it published, get it out, make it a bestseller, uh, speak around the nation, and then move to the next book. Mm. Because I find myself, I'm as, I'll am i be a C plus at eight things versus an A at one things. And it's so tempting to, you know, try to be an A plus at 10 things. And most of
0: us don't have the capacity for it. No, I think that's really important. It just all comes down to focus and today in our overstimulated world, that's the hardest thing for people to do. I was listening to something not long ago about how being able to focus is going to be like the number one tool that people are looking for in people that they need to work for them. Is that like, can you actually focus in and dial in on that one specific goal that you have for yourself and then move on and not just get too scatterbrained and completely lose sight of what you're trying to accomplish? Nick, how did you get so wise? <laughs> I talked to
3: people like you. Well, I, I'm impressed at your level of maturity. It's well beyond your years. I think what you've said is exactly wise and even profound. Focus is discipline. And I think the more self-awareness you have and the more you're willing to admit to yourself, how do I get distracted? What types of things distract me? And don't be ashamed of it. Just own it. You know, I get distracted because I, I can't focus more than half an hour. That's okay. Go take a break, right? Go do two reps downstairs in the gym, your house, have a cup of coffee and come right back. Don't be ashamed of who you are and what your proclivities are, but, but own them, understand them and work through them. Like I I can get easily distracted. My wife can get easily distracted, but the more we're aware of what distract us on our way to the goal, the goal might be getting to school on time. It might be getting to the interview on time. The more you are, the more you forgive yourself and you just kind of own who you are, the more focused you can become and you realize what the temptations are to be distracted and you kind of, you embrace them versus
0: you, you um, ignore them. Right. And I think if you're not self-aware and you don't know those things that distract you, then you don't know what to start working on. So it's really important to be able to identify the, like, like, like you said, those things that distract you because then you can start actually taking action on avoiding those things.
3: In fact, Nick, th- this conversation's come full circle because you are—you become self-aware only through feedback from others. You you aren't—you can't inherently become self-aware. And I'll tell you, of all the people in my 25 years of being a formal leader, hiring and firing, almost every termination, sadly, was typically from a person's lack of self-awareness. They did mm. not understand that they were a poor communicator, or that they were selfish, or self-absorbed, or couldn't collaborate. And they didn't have the maturity and the humility and the confidence to go to Nick and say, Nick, can I ask you a favor? What was I like in that meeting earlier today? What what did you like about my style? And what did you dislike about it? And Nick, how was I on the interview? Did I talk too much? Was I too shy? Was I too overpowering? And people become self-aware only when they have strong feedback loops.
0: Most people don't do anything about it. So it's really important to have those actionable things. And you present challenges at the end of every single chapter. So I'm intrigued as to what you think holds people back from actually taking action on something. Well, I think fear, right? I mean, we we
3: all have fears and it's legitimate. You know, I interviewed the famous author, Eric Barker, who wrote a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. It's a phenomenal book. I encourage everyone to buy it, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it basically is a collection of myths that were told since childhood, you know, um, nice guys finish last, or you know, early bird, get, early worm gets the early bird gets the worm. I mean, all those cliches, and some of them are true, and some of them aren't. But what he talked about is that everyone needs to know their story in life, and it really inspired me because I've heard this same concept from other wise people. Is what holds people back is fear, and our fear is usually grounded and what we've been told by others about ourselves by our mm-hmm. parents by our teachers by you know ministers if you're if you're religious by principals by your brothers by the captain of the football team who was you know stronger and faster than you and some of it's true and some of it damn it was not true and i think it's so important for people your age my age regardless of age to own your story And I I, I share people a quick exercise, go into the kitchen and pull out a whisk or a wooden spoon and use it as a microphone and walk around your house and interview yourself. I was born in Orlando, Florida to a middle-class family with a brother and a mother who was a stay-at-home mom and a father. And my mother was raised by alcoholics and my father's father died when he was 10 and his brother got polio and his mother favored. I mean, just go through your raw story. And share with yourself what your struggles have been and what are you confident about and what are you fearful of? And then ask yourself was that true? Is that true? Does that need to be true? You know, because my sixth grade English teacher told me I wasn't smart, is that true? Damn it. And so leave the baggage and decide, you know what? It's not true anymore. I'm going to change that. So I think. It's a long answer, but I think it's so important for people to own your story, own your journey, own your fears, and then say, is that true anymore? Could I could I tomorrow make that not true because someone told that about me 15 years ago and I've come to believe that? So I think most fears are irrational. Now, mm. I hate snakes. I hate alligators. I hate sharks. <laughs> They're right. fairly rational fears. But I have other fears. I had to say, you know what? Why can't I be a radio host? Why can't I own my own podcast? Why can't I write a best-selling book? Why can't I open up my own company? So long long story to say, confront your fears. And there are, there are rational fears, right? I don't skydive. I don't bungee jump. Um, I don't use drugs. But know your story. Own your journey. And ask yourself, is this true about me? And is it not? Mm. And whether it is or it isn't,
0: How do I change it? There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this masterclass with Franklin Covey's Finest. If you did, leave it a quick review on the Apple Podcast app or on iTunes. It'd be a great help to help the podcast move up the show ranks, and it'd be a great way for you to get more involved in this awesome community we're building. If you enjoyed the episode, you're going to want to check out all three of their best-selling books, The Speed of Trust, The Four Disciplines of Execution, and Management Mess to Leadership Success. All are national bestsellers. Remember, if you're a business leader, an entrepreneur, or just anyone looking to execute and achieve their wildly important goals, you've got to check out Chris McChesney's workshop at Tulsa Community College on Friday, November 22nd. Go to nickcarrier.com slash podcast for the link to register and use the code BESTYOU for a huge discount that you don't want to miss out on. But for now, it's time. You're listening to the show because you want to improve. You want to grow every day. You want to chase down your best you. So go out and do it. Take the action steps to build trust in yourself. Make yourself a commitment and then keep it. Make, keep, repeat. Really focus in on the right wildly important goal for you that's really gonna move the needle in your business or in your life. And start to really pay attention to the decisions that you make, because the culmination of all your decisions becomes your reputation. If you can work on these things consistently, they will undoubtedly get you closer and closer to your best you.